0: Hi there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I'm the youth Director here at SFPC. This week, Phil Routley speaks about the commandment on adultery as the next part in our Law for Life Sermon series. Enjoy! Well, good day. It's glad, I'm glad to be here. Good to meet you all. And Rod, thank you very much for that introduction. I wondered who you were talking about there for a while, and I can hardly wait to see what I have to say. But it certainly is a challenge when you get invited in to talk about something such as adultery. Good place to start. I even thought of maybe starting with an introduction from Mission Impossible, that uh, your mission should you choose to accept it, and so on and so forth. But it's good to be here, good to be able to share from God's Word. That's always something that I love to be able to do. And so thanks for the invitation and thanks for those of you who are joining us online as well as in person. So the basis for this series is that the Ten Commandments are in fact a law for life. And we know from scripture that God has a very real intention for how it is that we are to live our lives. Some came to Jesus one day and said, what's the most important thing to do? What is the most important commandment that there is? Jesus responded that the most important thing for us to do is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, everything that you are, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so if we go back into the Old Testament, into that passage in Exodus chapter 20, we find that when this comes into practice, on the left side here you see that everything is vertically directed. It's about directing our thoughts, our praise, our lifestyle, everything towards God, whereas the love your neighbor side is going sideways. It's reaching out to those around us. It's making an impact on the lives of others. And so when we start to look then at how the 10 Commandments fit into this, we find that the first four are all directed upwards. It's about our relationship with God the Father, that we are to have no other gods, that we are to have no idols, that we are to respect God, god's name that we are respect to the sabbath day of rest which was made for god to give to us as he demonstrated on that seventh day that we need to rest but it's also a day to bring him Honor. On the right-hand side, on the love your neighbor side, we see the honor your parents side. We see do not murder, respect other people's lives. Where we're going to focus today on do not commit adultery, and then do not steal, do not lie, do not covet. All of these things are directed towards one another, but they all fit into that context of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength because God has a design. He has a design for what his world is going to be, what his world can be. We're going to talk about the covenant of the faithful that's within that word world. And then we're going to also look at how this is an impact of the image of the church upon everything that we are. So we're going to begin with the design of the Father. God said, after creating the world and everything that's in it, he said, let us make man in our image. And from the beginning, we see the Trinity being reflected in God's design. It was not just let's make man. It was let's make man in our image. He is to be a relational being as nothing else is. And God said, let there be family and there was family as God brought Adam and Eve together and began that process of creating the family that's going to very much represent what that Trinity relationship is like. And then it says that's why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. There's something absolutely amazing that's going on here. God ideal is that one man and one woman would become united. They'd become one. They would become a family. The family is the most basic building block of our society, of our world. And part of God's plan for that family is that it would be unique to humanity. This is one of our grand dogs. This is Heidi. She belongs to our daughter who lives in Burnaby, not so far away, and Heidi has just had her third litter in the last few months. It was a very interesting process. It began with five little pups who would fit into this little wagon. There's what one of them looked like on the day they were born. Within a week, this is what they looked like, same wagon, getting bigger, doubled in weight, and here's what they looked like not too long ago. But here's the thing, eight weeks. Eight weeks from when the puppies were born until they're ready to go out on their own. I'd be surprised if this puppy, whose name is Padme, by the way, They were all born on May the 4th, so they all have Star Wars names. Padme was born eight weeks later, was ready to be on her own, away from the rest of the family. You know as well as I do, that's not how our families work. Here's where our family began. This was our firstborn. He now lives down in Atlanta. 24 years later, here's what our family looked like. 24 years. 24 years after that, here's what his family looks like. 24 years. And it's just in the last few weeks that one of our grandsons in this picture, Bren. Uh, sorry, Bren is going off to law school. Jace is now going to be getting married a year from now. But this is a 24-year process from birth until there's a real level of independence ready to go off on their own. What a difference. With puppies, there's no long-term commitment, right? Certainly not from mum to kids. But with us as adults, as as... Human beings created in God's image, we take a long time to develop. And so God looks at that family relationship and he says, it can't be just a fly-by-night thing. The only way that it can really work is for there to be a long-term commitment as people grow and develop and the kids grow up and eventually get to the point where they can become independent and go off and live on their own While still being, let's face it, somewhat dependent on mom and dad in different ways along the way. That'll never work without a commitment to abstain from adultery. So, part of God's design is that we would not commit adultery within our families, within our relationships, within our marriages, that we would be faithful to one another. So important that it's one of the big ten. So important that it's one of the laws of life to follow that design of the, fa- of the family, the design of the father, and to build and grow that family. So, God says, no adultery. And I can honestly tell you, I have never committed adultery. Elsie and I have been married for over 50 years now, and I can tell you, I have been faithful never happened. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but my guess is that many in this room would be able to say that's absolutely right. Big check mark behind that do not commit adultery commandment. No problem, never done it. And then along comes Jesus, and Jesus has this incredible way of messing with us. He says, You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Good, got that one nailed. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Oh, it just got a whole lot more difficult, didn't it? So, just imagine, Sunday afternoon, beautiful, sunny afternoon, on the beach down at Cultus and you just happen to be sitting about 15 feet from one of the most exquisite examples of physical perfection that you can possibly imagine, wearing only a tissues worth of fabric. So you look away, but you got sunglasses on so you could still sneak a peek if you really wanted to. That may have happened to you, but The point is, could that be lust? Is that what Jesus was talking about when he said that lusting is already committing adultery? The design of the Father is to abstain from adultery. The design of the Father is to protect against lust which is the beginning of adultery. So we start thinking that this is really, really hard, and putting that green check mark up there probably isn't going to do it all by itself. So be faithful. The covenant of the faithful. God says to us, you need to make a covenant with one another and with me that you are going to be faithful to one another. And you have seen, you have participated, you have been there when you've said it or you've heard somebody else say, forsaking all others, I will keep myself only unto you for as long as we both shall live. We make that commitment to be faithful, to remain faithful, to not allow ourselves to be dragged down some other path. But here's the challenge. Here's the problem. We live in a world where the great deceiver keeps coming to us and saying, did God really say? It went right back to the garden, didn't it? Adam and Eve are there. And Satan comes to them. And the challenge is, did God really say? And we still find that in our world today. We get this idea that God wants us to be happy. So if it's going to make you happy, it's okay to go ahead and do it. The problem is that it was the great deceiver who said that. It was Satan himself that said it. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but the, the root word in Greek for deceiver... Is fishhook, fishhook. If you happen to be a fish and you see this nice juicy worm floating by, you think that's absolutely fantastic, and away you go to get it, not knowing that hidden within it, within its deception, is something that's going to trap you. It's going to hook you. I don't know whether you're a uh, a Star Wars fan or not, but you probably recognize the most fish-looking character on there. His name is Admiral Akbar, and his most famous statement is, It's a trap! The great deceiver has a great time with what he's doing. When I was younger, Playboy magazines were around. Probably the most extreme form of pornography that I ever saw. But over time other things got exposed, other things got brought forward, everything became mainstream and now we're at the point where you're sitting there with a phone and you can see things on your phone that I couldn't have imagined when I was a kid. And many of you probably couldn't either. There was always the kid that would bring along the magazine that came from that back of that one smoke shop, typically, where kids weren't allowed to go, but he found it in his dad's drawer, and so he'd bring it, and he'd sit out behind the the garage or something, because there was this forbidden fruit. Today, we have moved so much further along than that, and I don't mean that in a good way. The deception continues. The great deceiver just loves to drag us into all kinds of areas and avenues that lead us astray. Henry Nowen, a renowned uh, writer, author, speaker, had this great quote, Lust is the craving for salt by a man dying of thirst. That's a pretty uh, visual kind of an expression. Now, As I was thinking about that, I, I remembered this Coke machine that I saw in, uh, in some information in a number of years ago. Uh, we've all gone to Coke machines. You used to stick in your coins. Now you use your card, most likely. And it looks rather innocuous in many, many ways. You see the ice that's piled up on there to make this really cold and really refreshing and really desirable. But if you zoom in on the top of the can, you're going to see something that you may not have seen before. Isn't that a very shapely woman lying on the top of the can with her hair hanging down over the edge? Sex sells. And so we are inundated everywhere that we go. And because it is everywhere, and it is because it is so intense, and because we are always seeking something else, it becomes very attractive to us. I don't remember where it was, but just in the last few days, I heard a story about some research that was being done, and it reminded me of one of these. It's a Dr. Ho's shoulder um, TENS machine. Those things that look like lights on there, they're actually just electrodes and you get a very, uh, very mild, but very controllable shock that goes into your neck and it helps it relax. You can do this on, uh, on other muscles and so on and so forth. But in this experiment, they put people into what was called a boredom room. And this boredom room was where they would put somebody, there was a chair, and they were told they would have to stay in the room for 15 minutes. The only other thing in the room was a shock machine that if you touched it, it would give a very brief, very safe, but quite intense electric shock, like a Dr. Ho's 10s machine if you turned it up to 10. You definitely know you touched it. And the person who was put in there was told that this machine was there, was told what it would do. And they found that there were some people that during that 15 minutes of boredom, they had to be doing something. And so, they'd touch the machine. They would get the jolt. (laughs) What I found really interesting, of the men who were put into that room, two-thirds of them touched the machine to get the shock. Many of them more than once. But there are also women that they put in to that same room. Any guesses? 25% of the women touch the machine. I don't remember hearing how many of them touched it a second time. But isn't it interesting what boredom leads us to do when we know it's not good for us we know we're going to have some kind of a, a sensation that's not ultimately good for us, and yet people are willing to still go ahead and do it. Okay, let's get back to scripture. Paul wrote in Ephesians, Wives, submit, to yourselves, to your, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church his body of which he is the savior now as the church submits to Christ so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything this is probably one of the most unpopular portions of scripture that there is right we get it the word submission is not something that we really fit into and I've I've had people tell me that they don't believe anything, Paul says, because he hated women. And I don't think there's any evidence for that. I think that his love for women and Christ's love for women surpassed anything that was in existence prior to this point. Jesus spending time with the woman at the well in Samaria was a prime example of that. And you remember who he first appeared to when he rose from the dead? It was to a woman who he then said, go tell the rest of the apostles. Women had been given a freedom, a level of freedom in Christ because of what Jesus had done for them when the early church was getting underway. It was a world where a man could say to his wife, I am done with you, I'm divorcing you, here's a paper, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, you're gone, and she couldn't do anything about it. And so along comes Paul with these words knowing that the family is the primary building block for society and within the church as well. He is saying, don't give the world the opportunity to criticize the church because the women don't respect their husbands. Get that? He's saying, wives, do what is expected in your culture. You are expected to appreciate, respect your husbands. Don't create issues for the church by going out and upsetting that. So, husbands, love your wives. That's easy enough, right? Husbands, love your wives. Sure, I, I love, did, did anybody remember uh, Tevya in the movie Fiddler on the Roof, right? His wife says, do you love me? And his response basically is, well, I told you, if I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. Husbands, love your wives. And we know that within the Greek language, there are four words for love. We know that there is philo, which is the sure love you as a brother kind of thing. I sure like you a lot. It's where the name Philadelphia comes from. There is eros, which is the erotic, the romantic love. It's the sexual side of love. There is storge, which is the family version. This is how we love one another within families. Uh, brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and cousins and in-laws and everything else that there is a real good solid liking of one another but jesus often uses the word and paul uses the word here which is agape which is the ultimate willing to die for you love It goes so much deeper than simply the feeling, and it gets into what is the heart really doing here in acting upon what it means to love. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And here's what Paul is saying to the church. Husbands, do what is unexpected in your culture. Simply liking your wife a lot or putting up with her or allowing her to stay is not sufficient. you got to die for her if that's what it takes. Takes it to a whole other level, doesn't he? And then he continues, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. We are part of his church. We are part of him. We are to live out what it means to be part of him by expressing his kind of love, guys, for your wives. Not what you would expect in that day. And the continuing challenge for us today where unfaithfulness is so easy. I don't know whether you remember, oh, sorry, missed a slide here. Okay, we go to Proverbs, right? Proverbs, when the teacher is passing on his wisdom to his son. Much of what he writes is directed towards his son. And here's some of what he says. The lips of an adulterous woman drip with honey. But at the end, she is as bitter as gall. Keep a path from her. Do not go near the door of her house. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. You get the picture. Very powerful visual of what can happen if you don't keep your distance. One of my favorite comedians many years ago was Bob Newhart. He had sketches on all kinds of things. He also had his own TV show on a couple of different occasions. But there's this video that is on YouTube. Don't look it up now. You can do that later. Where he is a psychiatrist... And this woman that you can see on the left comes in to see him, and they sit down, and he says to her, very simply, I charge $5 for five minutes, what would you like to talk about? So she takes her wallet out, and she takes a $5 bill and hands it to him, and he says, I don't give change, okay? So the conversation begins, and she says, I have... This idea that I, I am constantly in fear of somebody putting me into a box and burying me alive. It is uncontrollable. And so Newhart, as a psychiatrist says, have you ever had anybody put you in a box? She says, no. Do you know anybody who wants to put you in a box and bury you alive? No. Okay then I can help you. If you do what I'm telling you, he says, everything will be fine. So she gets out a pad and a pen to write it down, but he says it's probably not necessary. It's only two words. Stop it! She's shocked. says, what? Stop it! And that's the totality of his advice for her. Stop it! Wouldn't it be wonderful if Jesus said, when it comes to sin, stop it. Life really doesn't work quite like that. A number of years ago, when we were in Atlanta, we went down to visit our kids First time we went, actually, not too long after we had moved there, and we went to Andy Stanley's church, North Point, and we, I remember buying a DVD series, which I still have on my shelf at home, and it's called Take It to the Limit. The whole idea of the series of messages is that in our society, we are expected to take everything to the limit. That if you have a credit card that has a $5,000 limit on it, you are expected to get as close to that $5,000 without going over, pay off a chunk of it, and then just work in that little bit that's there. Take it to the limit. When it comes to our calendars, we're expected if we're raising kids that our calendar's just going to be full of dance classes and baseball games and soccer practices and art classes and then they've got a school to school and then there's stuff at home and you end up with two cars and mom is a taxi driver. Right? Calendar's full. And part of the premise of what Andy Stanley is talking about is the idea that If you are living your life like that, there's no margin, there's no place to really meet with God, and you are always going to be very close to going over the edge. Same thing applies with our relationships. It's best to create margins in our lives and pull back from the edges where the idea that you could ever fall into adultery is so far from what could possibly happen because you're staying back from the edge. It's a dangerous world out there. We see signs all over the place. And these signs ought to be put around our protective area of where we are relationally with other people. We need to stay back. We need to stay clear. Create some margin. Another little example that, uh, that Andy gives is if you don't have margin on a sheet of paper or on a screen, You can't read it. But create some margins. And even if the font is smaller, the chances of you being able to read that are considerably greater. Create margin. Stay back from the edges. When David wrote these words, and here's a few of them, in Psalm 51, it was after he had committed adultery, with Bathsheba. He wrote, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. The design of the Father, the covenant of the faithful. How about the image of the church? we go back to Ezekiel, we find God saying these words. I've been grieved by their adulterous hearts, which have turned away from me, and by their eyes, which have lusted after their idols. And adulterous people with their unfaithfulness being directed towards God himself. And then we read these words. During the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, Have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She's gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. I thought that after she had done all this, she would return to me, but she did not. And her unfaithful sister Judah saw it. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her. She defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. In spite of all this, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense, declares the Lord. The words from Jeremiah. God said on more than one occasion, be holy for I am am holy. Be holy for I am holy. And yet the people that he said that to continued to be adulterous in their relationship with him. They continued to be unfaithful towards him. When I was younger, probably in my early 20s, there were a couple of, uh, of songwriters and lyricists and musicians who wrote, we we were very much involved with the Salvation Army throughout our youth and for many years after that, but they started writing musicals, and one of these was based on the life of Hosea. Hosea is not a book you're going to hear preached very often in church, but Hosea is the story of a man of God who God directs him to go and to marry a woman who is a prostitute. And he does. And he brings her home and protects her and cares for her and loves her. And yet she is adulterous. She leaves and goes back to her old trade. And he goes again and brings her back into his home as his wife. A clear picture of God's willingness to re-enfold, if you will, re-engage To begin a relationship again with those who have broken a relationship with him. And in that musical, we hear these words in one of the songs. Don't assume that God's dismissed you from his mind. Don't assume that God's forgotten to be kind. For no matter what you do, his love still follows you. Don't think that you have left him behind, far behind. For his love remains the same. He knows you by your name. Don't think because you failed him he despairs. For he gives to those who ask. God plans for you. His grace for every task. God plans for you in love. For he still cares. If you happen to be someone who has become involved in an adulterous relationship, whether it's the classic version or it's Jesus saying, step back from the edge. He hasn't forgotten about you. He wants his relationship with you to be one that continues on, in fact, throughout all of eternity. And so he gives us these words. Paul. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Love your wife just as as Christ does the church. For we're members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, but the two will become one flesh. This is a sound mystery. But the mystery is not talking about his husband and wife becoming one. It's about the church and Jesus becoming one. I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you, almost as an aside, don't forget, Men, husbands, love your wife as she loves, as you love yourself, and the wife must respect her husband. Because you see, the relationship between the church and the Lord is to be like a good, faithful marriage. Think about that a little bit. And the relationship between a husband and a wife is to be like the relationship between the church and the Lord. There's a lot to think about there. So let's pull it all together. The design of the Father is that the family is the foundation of life. The covenant of the faithful is what that makes that possible because without faithfulness, that family will fail. The image of the church is that it gives us a window into the mind of God. So we get to see something of what that relationship is between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that is available to us between husband and wife and between us and God, us, the church, and our Savior. It is absolutely incredible. Be holy, for I am holy, God said. So what if that hasn't worked out? What do you do? Starting point is always repentance. Create in me a clean heart, O God. That's the place where we can start by simply acknowledging that we have missed the mark, we have fallen short, we have not lived up to that holy standard that God has provided for us and encouraged us to. And that repentance leads to redemption. He gives us a fresh start a brand new beginning. And then he regenerates us. He makes us into new people. And he gives us the resources that we need in order to be able to live out what it means to be a child of God. But that also leads to a responsibility to live that out. And to live a life that encourages other people to also go down that track towards repentance. That's his encouragement for us. When he says, do not commit adultery, he's saying, I want you to be faithful, faithful to one another. Husbands and wives, families, I want you to be a reflection of the love that Jesus has for the church, being willing to die for her. Because that is my model. That's what reflects the reality and the privilege we have of passing that on and of sharing it with others. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, these are challenging words. They're going to be more challenging for some than others, but they are challenging, I believe, for every one of us, that we would be 100% faithful to our spouse, that we would love one another, that we would respect one another, and that our lives would reflect the holiness of a holy God. Thank you, Jesus, for being with us this day. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship sermon podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out SardisFellowship.com. Have a great day, and God bless.